It's Tammy Lawrence's Symbolisti here. Welcome to the I'm Still Here Messages from the Other Side podcast. This is a group that no one wants to join, but unfortunately, we will all be in this club at some point in our lives. We discuss the grief journey and receiving messages from the other side when our loved ones let us know that they are still close. Together, we will learn to navigate to the other side of grief while still being here. Hello, everyone. Today, we're speaking with Julie Reeves. You might remember Julie from season four, episode six, where we spoke to her and her love of her life, David Gould. David often refers to Julie as the Oracle. We love that name. Hi, Julie. Hi, Tammy. Good to see you. You too. How are you? I'm good. I'm so glad to be here with you. I'm so glad you... Yes, I was just going to say, I'm so glad you said yes, and you were willing to come back on. It's fantastic. We loved your energy the last time we thought maybe there's a little bit more information we could talk to you about regarding the other side and messages. Sure. Yeah. Well, I love this topic. So do I. Yeah, I really do. Even though it, I mean, really, it's grief and it, it's got, I mean, it's never easy or nor is it okay to go through. Well, I didn't even say that right. It's okay to go through because everyone has to at some point. Um, but the messages from the other side component of grief is exciting to talk about to me anyhow. Oh, it, it can make the grieving process fundamentally different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those, those messages can totally change the trajectory for people. Absolutely. So one of the people that you had mentioned previously when we were speaking was your grandfather. Could you share some of that story? Yeah, I would love to. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a detailed story, but my, my, I call him my beloved grandfather. You know, I had one grandfather that we weren't close to at all. And I had one that was my beloved grandfather and he, he was, I know that I had some really strong past life connections with him, some of which I've actually remembered, but that was, you know, that was in, in later years um, after his death, but he was, we were really close to him. All five of us grandchildren were very, very close to him. He just adored, you know, he adored his daughters and he adored his grandchildren and, and he was just like the quintessential grandfather. And when when I was 20, he died very suddenly. And I mean, it's an, it's an interesting, I always find my grieving process to be so interesting because I missed him. I grieved him. My mother said, you know, I was 20, my sibling, everyone else, all the other grandchildren were younger. My mother said, oh, you don't need to wear black to the funeral. And I said, no, I'm going to wear black because I want that to represent how I feel, you know, I I wanted to wear the color to represent that I missed him, that I was mourning him and grieving him, that he, you know, that he, I think I felt that it was a way of saying how important he was in my life. And of course I shed many tears and was sad, but also I was able to move on, like move on fairly quickly. And he was young, he was, um, I mean, young, you know, comparatively, he was 68. That's young. Yeah, just shy of his birthday. I believe I have that right. He may have been 67, just about to turn 68. But anyway, late 60s, you know, my husband's older than that. 
I had a very, very clear sense that his life was done. You know, that the life that he came here to live was complete. I had a sense of completion, even, even back then. And it really helped the grieving. Um, and, and, you know, I can give some reasons that I had that sense, but really it, there was no good reason that I had that sense. I just had that, it was just my knowing is that he was done. But, you know, some of the story of his death is he, ha he had a um, congenital heart defect, uh, one, of his, the, one of the valves in his heart. He was terrified of doctors, terrified of hospitals. When he was 45, he had a heart attack and of course got taken to the hospital and he never wanted to do that again. So he followed doctor's orders to a T. He ate the way he was supposed to eat. He cut out the things he was supposed to cut out. He exercised, took good care of himself. We got more than 20 more years with him just for him making those changes. And I think he took his medication, you know, he took whatever medication they gave him at the time. I was young when he had the heart attack, you know, I don't really remember it. Mm -hmm. But I had a real sense that he lived his life on his own terms. And he, and that was, a, and, and I admired that and, and was grateful for that. And so I wanted him, of course, to die on his own terms. And he did. Mm -hmm. I feel like he did. And you know, one of the things that happened was the ambulance broke down at least twice, and it may have been three times on the way to the hospital. You know, just things that to me were like, oh yeah, this is him. This is his, this is his, this is his, what he wanted. Well, he didn't want, he didn't want what was going to happen to him next, mm -hmm. you know? And so I felt a lot of peace around that. And then about you know, I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I was out of college. So I would have been about 23 probably at this time. I started at nighttime, I started flying in my dreams. At first I just, and, and I can't say that I'd never flown before, but I started flying in my dreams like every night. And at first it was just little, you know, it was just like, you know, I don't, I don't remember the details of it first, but just like a little bit of flying and not very high off the ground and not, you know, just this little, and, you know, it's easier to talk about this, like, you know, looking back on it, I have a perspective that of course I didn't have then, <laughs> but um, then, but I see now that I was in like a training program and and so I, I got better at my flying. So every night I would fly a little bit farther or a little bit higher or a little, you know, higher. Mm -hmm. Who knows what higher meant, means or meant. Yeah. Um, a little bit more free. And this went on for over a year. And I can't say that it was every single night, but it was a lot. It was frequent. And... And it got to where, I mean, these were like out of body, absolute blissful, ecstatic experiences is what they grew into, you know, mm -hmm. as I progressed and it got to where I would just, I was like completely weightless, soaring, like 
a totally out-of-body experience. I would fly just so high and for long stretches of time, like, you know, time. Again, it's in my dream, it's in my sleep. So none of these words really work. My perception of time. And it wasn't like flapping my, you know, it wasn't that kind. Um, lots of times my flying was more like swimming, but it wasn't in the water, but like I would be doing, you know, freestyle or breaststroke or, you know, it, it progressed and it was different ways. And so these got to be just these blissful out of body like experiences, weightlessness, the whole thing. And, um, and then one night I flew higher and more freely and longer than I'd ever flown before. And when I landed, I landed at the feet of my grandfather, my beloved grandfather. Cool. And he said to me, he said, Julie, I'm okay. Which is so interesting to like, I've heard people say that that's what everyone wants to know about their loved ones who passed. That's the, that's the one piece of information everyone wants. I think I was thinking about it today. I think James von Prague, you know, the, the medium. Um, I believe he's the one that I heard that from. I didn't feel like I was worried that my grandfather wasn't okay, but I feel like maybe unconsciously I was, or at least he felt that I needed to know that he was, he needed to tell me that I was okay, that he was okay. Mm -hmm. um, and he just said, Julie, I'm okay. And that's all the words that I remember. Like I hung with him for a little while. There was some kind, you know, powerful communion between us, unspoken um, of just, you know, I felt like I, I sat in his presence for a while and soaked up his presence. Mm. And then I flew back and I have very rarely since that time flown again in my dreams. Every once in a while I will, it's never been the same. Um, and that started, that was actually the beginning of what I call my, my spiritual path. You know, the, the conscious spiritual path. Um, that was when I began reading books and, you know, studying and, and really knowing, really knowing, and I, I can't say that I doubted before this, but really knowing that life is so much more than we perceive with our five senses. Mm. And, um, yeah. And sometimes I think so often we question it, like, do I know this because I do know it or am I just making it up? Yes. That questioning exactly yeah and this was like experiential proof you know so rather than me taking other people's word for something or other people's experience this was my own experience nobody can ever take that away from me you know people can believe what they want to believe think what they want to think but this was my experience and yeah. i knew it was real it was just as real as you and i talking right now you know and um And before that, as, as we talked about last time, before that, I had experiences growing up. It was, 
I believe, you know, my, my memory is that it was always with animals that I would often have a sense of like, okay, this animal is tomorrow when I wake up, this animal will no longer be in their body. You know, I, I would have a sense of this animal is getting ready to, to leave their body. Um, but that was about it. I didn't, I, you know, I don't remember having a lot of what some people might call psychic experiences or, you know, or, 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 you know, clairvoyant or, or anything like that. I, I was very sensitive. So I could feel people, you know, I could feel energy from people. That was undoubtedly true. I didn't know why I, I didn't, you know, I couldn't make sense of it, but, um, but that was also in many ways, I think the beginning of, it was a big part, I believe, of why I went into hospice work was that experience with my grandfather. Um, it wasn't entirely, it was, that wasn't entirely it. I, as early as a senior in high school, I, I was really questioning life and questioning society and our culture and why we do things the way we do, like all teenagers do. And um, I felt very strongly that why do we send people away to hospitals and away from their homes to to two things to to give birth and you know to be born and to die and there was nothing i could do about the birth part at that time you know i wasn't i wasn't going to give birth at home at that time but but i started working in hospice um, very shortly after i graduated from college for many years and um, in hospice, I definitely had, one of the hospices I worked in was a spiritual hospice, which I feel so blessed to have had that experience um, because all of this was just out in the open. You know, we talked about souls and we talked about, you know, crossing over to, you know, and what the other side was. We talked about soul contracts, you know, all, all kinds of things were just out there in the open. Um, every resident that lived in the home I worked in, the, the assisted living and hospice home, it was a home, um, they all had readings whenever, when they came into the home, they all had readings by, a, you know, I don't know what to call him, but an intuitive or a psychic that kind of gave the woman who started this home some idea of what their what they were here to do and what they did in their lives and what their soul agreements were and all of that. You know, how many people get, how many jobs are there where you can actually apply, get it, you know, get hired and get paid at a job where, where you talk about these things, where it's just out in the open. Mm -hmm. And how soothing to the people who were in that hospice, because what a better time to talk about the other side and going there when you know that you're in a hospice for a reason and that's where your life is headed at that point, which is saddening, but in the same time, I'm sure they found great comfort in that. I, I think so. And I think that their families did too. And I think some of the people who found their way to this home were maybe not full believers in all of these things, you know, but some of them definitely, that's why they were attracted there. Um, and I just feel like, it, and it normalizes it. You know, and one of the stories I told last time, but I believe, I, I believe I told this just when you and I were talking. 
was um, one of my experiences in this hospice was we had a resident who was who was doing her death journey and and I had been upstairs with her in her room with several other people who worked at this home but also at the same time it it became lunchtime and it was time for the other residents to have their food and and this is a home that only had mm, maybe eight to ten residents so to give you an idea it was a, it was a home and and people were like a family you know so I went downstairs and um, went to sit at lunch and help everybody have their lunch. And then all of a sudden I just like, you know, I, I felt something and I look up and I, I feel the, the woman who had been going through her death passage. I felt her soul just like zoom down the stairs and out the front door. And along with that, I got a message from her. And she asked me to tell her son, who was upstairs in her, you know, in the room with her, to tell her son that, that she was okay, that she, that what I had seen, you know, what I had felt and seen, and that she was okay. And, um, but the, you know, one of the parts that I love is that when I felt this, I just said, like, I just said to everyone sitting at the table, all the other residents, I said, oh, there goes Sylvia right out the front door. You know, there goes Sylvia's soul right out the front door. And, and that was something that we could say in that home. And everybody, it wasn't weird to anybody. You know, they said, oh, okay, you know, oh, you know, and, and we talked about it. And then a few minutes later, one of the other workers came downstairs and said that, that Sylvia had made her passage. But we already knew. Yeah, I was going to say, and you're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've already talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then when her son came out, he came down and, you know, and he walked straight out the front door. Interestingly, he didn't come talk to anybody else. He went straight out the front door. I gave him a little bit of time. And then I went out and met him and, and told him what my experience had been. And what the message that I got was that I was to tell him. And again, it's, it wasn't weird to him. He was so grateful and he was so touched and somehow, I don't know how many years later, but I reconnected with him and somehow i don't remember the details but mm. but he had said how that how much that how much that meant to him in that moment and how much it changed the trajectory of his grief process you know he was very very close to his mother and just what a difference that made and i feel like i had a sense of that from my own experience with my grandfather you know hearing just just being able to get a message from, from our loved ones and knowing that they're okay. Mm -hmm. And um, I just felt like it, it may, yeah, I, I feel like that can make such a difference for people. And then not everybody is going to get messages like that, you know? And some people really, really, really want one and they either miss it because I think they're 
they're looking for, I don't know, the sky and the moon to fall down in front of them or something. They're, they're looking for something really big when usually it's the smallest, tiniest little detail that you can easily miss if you aren't paying attention or, or open to that. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, you mentioned, one of the things you mentioned that you see is um, rainbows, right? Is it rainbow lights that are uh, rainbow? No, it was hearts actually. Hearts. Yeah. Okay. Here I'm picturing rainbow hearts and I got the wrong word, it's hearts. Um, yeah, and, and I told you a story about a woman who I had heard say that she sees yellow butterflies when it's, when it's her daughter um, who's, you know, saying hello, saying hi, mom. Um, you know, we've heard so many stories about the way that our loved ones communicate with us. It could be anything. Some people mm -hmm. get a sense of the presence in the room, you know. Um, I have, <laughs> there's a, a man, Panash Desai, who my husband and I listen to every morning. He had a beloved grandparent too, his beloved grandmother. And he says that when she's in the room and she's trying to make her presence known to him, he messes, she messes with his office chair. So it'll suddenly boom, like it'll fall down and he has to get up and crank it back to its normal and to its position that where he sits on it. Well, it can be anything, but see, that's how, it can be the smallest thing. I mean, who would think that if their office chair suddenly changes position that, oh, that's my loved one. Yeah. You know, it's, but there's an, a certain attunement that we, I think that, that it asks for, you know, a, uh, I mentioned to you last time about, you know, feeling beyond the edge of our fingertips and seeing beyond the wavelength of light and, you know, hearing beyond the frequency of sound. I'm not sure I have all these science, these physics words right, but the sound frequency, I think it is. Um, it, there's something of that and like loosening up our five sense, senses. This is the feeling that I get from it. It's like loosening them up and kind of letting them stretch out and beyond. It's a little different way of being in the world. Mm -hmm. And of course our intuition, uh, you know, just the feel like, you know, if you get a feeling or, or opening your heart, for some people it feels much like a, you know, really opening their heart and then they have these experiences. And it's hard to like, I know people do it all the time, but to teach someone how to connect with the other side, there's lots of courses out there that help you to do that. Um, but many people aren't going to even open themselves up to that because they don't want to be associated with that group of whatever, however they would describe it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course that's everyone's right. And I, you know, for those people who desperately want it, it's like you were saying, there's so, there's so many people who desperately want a sign and, you know, maybe some of this can help those people to begin to, to notice what's, what's already around them. Um, but also I think sometimes, I don't think everyone who, every soul who crosses to the other side, I don't, I'm not sure that I think every single one of them wants to communicate in that way. And it's, it's not, um, of course, they're here with us, but as far as the reaching out directly, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know that, that they all do want to communicate in that way. 
Yeah, and who knows, they might have like a laundry list of things that they have to be doing when they're over there. We don't know. I mean, what does the other side really technically look like? Like, what, what do they do over there? I don't know. Maybe they're traveling or <laughs> I don't know. We only know what we hear other people tell us, right? Yeah. You know, because I, I don't know. You know, I've had experiences, but I, I don't know what, what they're doing. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Like one night I had a dream that my brother was driving a Camaro down the street and he was a tried and true Ford man. So he wouldn't have been driving a Camaro. But in my dream, he was driving his Camaro around and we sat and talked and it felt like I actually visited him. But I mean, it wasn't actually, I don't know, maybe it did happen. I don't know. I was in a dream. Yeah. Well, see, maybe it did happen. Right. We don't know. Yeah. I, um, you know, after my experience flying to see my grandfather, I haven't tried really hard to understand that because I think it's beyond the realm of understanding. But I hear people talk about astral travel and that astral travel can feel like you're flying and it's this incredible out-of-body experience. So I think, okay, that was probably astral travel. Did I actually astral travel to some other place you know i i don't know i don't have the i don't have the words i don't have the understanding of this and i don't really think any of us do but i do i've had enough life experience now that i do believe that we are never without our the ones that we love that they are really always with us and close to us and you know maybe maybe watching over i don't mean that like they're taking care of us necessarily but they might be um, a very good friend of mine is cherokee and they have she told me that they have a very strong knowing they wouldn't call it a belief you know a knowing in their tribe that when someone dies and leaves their body that oftentimes it's because they know that they can do more help on the other side than they can do here mm -hmm. so a story from her own life where she was certain of this was she she is a midwife amongst other things she's also a shaman for, in her tribe but she's a midwife and she was um and and a baby that she had been delivering died and she was being she was going to trial and during the process you know this was a long period of time from her arrest to the trial date was over a year mm -hmm. and during that year period of time her father died and again, this is another story about how grief can be so different. She knew that her father left his body because he could help her more on the other side than he could help her here in his body. So her grieving process was very, very different. Um, yes, she loved him, she missed him, but it didn't look like so much of what we see and come to believe grief should look like because she knew that there was a bigger greater purpose for it and that he was that he chose to do that 
so that he could help her. And then sure enough, she was found, you know, not guilty of whatever charges that they were trying to bring against her. And mm -hmm. she walked free. Um, you know, I, I think that grief can work. Grief can look, you know, an infinite number of ways, depending, everybody has their own process. I think you bring up a really good point because where did we even get our notions of what grief looks like? Um, and we we really are inundated by television shows and media that really hypnotize us into believing that this is how you have to be, or it has to be a very sad occasion, which obviously it is very sad and hard to get through for many, but some passings are different than others. And I think it's really based on what your relationship was like with the individual who has passed. If everything's been said and done, it's easier yes. to move forward than it is if the relationship was a little more tumultuous and, and you really had to you know, struggle in life with this person and then they pass and it's now it's unfinished business. You can't fix it now, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. How many stories have we heard of people who were estranged from someone in their life, whether it was a parent or a sibling, and then that person dies and they go into a terrible depressive grief mm -hmm. because even though like, I, I have an acquaintance who hadn't spoken to her mother in 20 years, but when her mother died, she went into a full-blown, deep, dark depression um, because it was too late. She couldn't fix it. She couldn't do differently. And the, the whole, all the import of that relationship and, and the choices that she had made that alien, you know, they both made choices, but that mm -hmm. alienated them from each other. They suddenly seemed so. Like insurmountable. Yeah. You know, like, why did I not speak to my mother for 20 years? Um, but I love what you say. And, and, and again, you know, just like I noticed you did when you were speaking of this, but it, it, I don't want to take anything away from someone who's grieving terribly. You know, you know, I'm not at all ever saying that anybody's grieving wrong, but sometimes we, and sometimes it can maybe behoove us to look at what you were pointing out. How much of our grief process are we getting from society and culture, which I can say it's a lot, you know, that we think it has to look a certain way, that we think when someone dies who we love, that we are supposed to be just devastated and, and grief stricken and cry for years and sink into a depression and you know all of that and how much of it oh and 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 it is also very individual but one of the you know one of the things that i um in my in sort of my dance with death in my life i've studied other cultures and not other, not every culture does it like we do it, you mm -hmm. know. So it, so to me that tells me that the way that it typically looks in our modern day Western culture isn't necessarily because that's how it is, you know, because there are many many cultures, even present day ones, that do it 
so differently. Even just to go back to what we've originally talked about that started today is where this idea of wearing black to a funeral. There are some cultures that wear white, right? And they, the belief system is that the white light is because they're in the white light and they're on the other side. So wearing white is a beautiful tribute to someone who has passed. Personally, I don't think I've ever been to a funeral where somebody had on white. It's always black, you know, yeah. it's just, again, so it's ingrained in us that that's one of the things that we have to do. Right, right. Well, yeah. I also wanted to mention when you were talking about your grandfather, that what I heard in the background of my mind, again, this intuitive knowing or listening or whatever, as the song, I did it my way. And I could hear it so loud. And I meant to mention it when you were talking, but I didn't want to interrupt you. Yes. Well, you know, Frank Sinatra, that would have been my grandfather's era. Yes. Right. Yeah. That music. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and Tammy, I, I, I was thinking about this earlier today too, that we all get to live our lives the way we want, you know, and, but our culture often doesn't tell us that, you know, our culture and our families and our friends often don't agree that we get to live our lives the way we want. And I was remembering today some conversations that I've had with my own family where they've staunchly disagreed with me on that and said like, no, you owe something to your, you know, your family, you, to your parents, to your siblings, to whomever, you know, you owe, you owe them something. You need to behave in a certain way because you owe them something. And I, I so disagree with that. You know, we don't owe anybody anything. We just owe ourselves to live our own lives the way that we want. And if that, and, and, and I, I should clarify those conversations I've had with my own family have been around, you know, terminal illness and death that no, you need, you have to go through chemo when you have cancer because you owe it to your children and your siblings and, you know, no, no, we get to choose how we wish to live. Mm -hmm. And I think that for my mother, it was my mother's father, who's my beloved grandfather. I think for her, it's been a very different journey because she felt like, she felt like her father should have gotten the valve in his heart replaced, you know? And I'll never know what it was like for her to lose her father. So I, I can't say that she's wrong for feeling that. But for me, I saw that, you know, he gets to live his life the way he wants. Mm. And it's a, 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 you know, one bit of control that he had was to be able to say, no, I'm not doing doctors. I'm not doing hospitals. I'm not going to have surgery. And that. I feel so happy that he got to remain true to that. He probably didn't love the ambulance ride. <laughs> probably, not, when it, not when it stalled three times. <laughs> he probably wished he could have just died at home, you know, before they got there. Again, it's this whole divine design or the divine plan. We don't know what it is. There's a whole belief system that we choose everything before we get here to have happen. And maybe that's true. Again, we, nobody can refute or support that without, I mean, we've got to go through the being on the other side ourselves to know if that's true, but then we probably won't remember this existence when that happens. <laughs> I know. I don't, I don't know. And I, you know, there's, 
there's people that I've, there's people that I've spoken to and books that I've read of, of people who say that they've been able to bring to this earth plane remembrance of the other, the, you know, the other dimensions and talked about some of this stuff. I, I you know, I can't say from personal experience, you know, I, I don't like to just repeat what other people say. I like, I like to speak from my own personal experience, what I know to be true. Right. I get into this conversation a lot with my meditation students, because really it, you either believe it or you don't as far as past lives go or future lives. Yeah. It's either you believe it or you don't believe it, or maybe you question it. But again, it's nothing mostly that we can prove that this happened. It's just, yes, I believe it or no, I don't believe in that. Mm -hmm. Either either way. I mean, it's whatever you want to follow through with. It's your belief. Right. Exactly. When I was a young child, like less younger than 10, I remember having a very, like knowing that I had lived other lives and that everybody lived other lives. I tend to give a lot of credence to that because, you know, when we're, when we're young, we haven't forgotten everything yet. You know, I watched my son when he was a newborn do things that people say are impossible. You know, he, my son could, I never know that I always get the word wrong. He could telekinesis. He could move things without touching them. He was a baby. He was, it was in his first 10 days of life. After the 10 days, the door closed on that. But in the first 10 days, he could just look at something and he could make it move, you know, toward him because he was, he was interested. People don't, lots of people don't believe that that's true, but I witnessed it. You know, my midwife who was, who's the Cherokee who I was talking about earlier. She, when she saw him do it one day, she said, well, look at that our baby is half on this side and half on the other side still you know like that for her she had a way of thinking about that and she could mm -hmm. recognize it and say oh yeah he's well what she said is he's straddling the universes that's how she put it he's straddling the universes yeah interesting and it's funny that you bring that up because i just talked to someone I think it's the second episode of this season four that uh, spoke st about similar things that she, uh, yeah, she could, maybe it wasn't recorded, but anyways, that she could move things with her mind when she was young. So uh -huh. interesting. Yeah. So it's a thing. There you go. All kinds. Yeah. All <laughs> kinds of things are possible. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with us today. Uh, Julie, we really appreciate it. If someone wanted to connect with you online, where would we direct them? I think the best way to reach me is Julie, J-U-L-I. So there's no E on Julie. If you put an E, it won't get to me. J-U-L-I at DaveGold.com. So it's D-A-V-E-G-O-L-D.com. That's my husband's, uh, whatever that's called, URL, yeah. whatever it's called. Website, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have a, an email through that. So, awesome. Perfect. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for taking time with us. This is great. Oh, I loved it. Thanks for having me, Tammy. Take care. Thank you for listening. We're grateful to our guests for sharing their experiences and knowledge of the grieving journey. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast, leave a rating and a review. You can follow us on social media through the links offered in the show notes. 
If you know somebody who could benefit from this podcast, please be sure to share it with them. A special shout out to Kevin McLeod and Computech for the background music entitled Happy Dreams. If you yourself have a story that you'd like to share, please email me at reikiandyoga at yahoo.com. I look forward to speaking with you. Until next time.